You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. How are we today? As you can see, Caleb and Telsey are away today, some others, and, uh, but you are the faithful few who didn't have any July plans because you knew that today it was going to rain, and they are up there getting soaked, and here we are. <laughs> this is good. Oh, 16 years ago or so, we were doing the Backyard Bash, and um, the, the chance of rain that morning, we've never been rained out, by the way, in all the years that we've been doing it. But that one Sunday, I was looking in the news back when we looked in the newspapers for weather, and the forecast was 100% chance of heavy rain for Sunday morning. Like, oh no. So we're praying like mad. We come here on Sunday. It rained all that night. Came here on Sunday morning. Blue sky. Blue sky for the bash. Had, the, had a great time that afternoon, just like clouds over. And so God has been very good to us. And so... Um, Thank you, Jesus, that July 3rd is not the date for the Backyard Bash. Okay, um, there is an old saying um, in the work world. Uh, You've probably heard it before. You've probably said it. And that old saying is, time is money. Time is money. And like money, often we feel like we are lacking for time. Then the occasion comes up where you are uh, perhaps in between a meeting, uh, things are uh, going good that day, but there's a gap. And then, so what are you doing with that time? Perhaps you are killing time. Um, I would like to introduce a different phrase this morning uh, as it relates to time that I think is more accurate and perhaps more redemptive than that. Not time is money, um, but instead, how about this? Time is holy. Our time is holy. It's odd that um, we have more leisure hours per year now than we've ever had before, certainly than what our parents had, for sure more leisure time than our grandparents or our great-grandparents ever had the opportunity of knowing. And yet, I would suggest that we are not more leisurely, and we are certainly, as a society, not more relaxed. For many, uh, we are more anxious, depressed, and in a hurry than any other generation in the history of the world, and yet we have more leisure time. That doesn't seem to quite add up, does it? Anxiety and hurry, it's a double combo, it's a double whammy, really, anxiety and hurry, weakens intimacy, and sabotages our best intentions of staying true to the three pillars that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, those three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. You see, Paul says a lot of things are going to pass away. Prophecies are going to cease. Uh, Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge is going to pass away. Uh, He goes on to write, you know, we, we see now through a glass dimly, as if in a mirror. Um, You know, we know in part now, uh, but we don't know all things. And uh, 
But then he goes on to say that, but there's going to be three things that are going to remain, faith, hope, and love, and, and we know, but the greatest of these is love. But this faith, hope, and love, but what anxiety does and what hurry does is it disrupts, it harms, and it impairs these three pillars. Now, there's an old biblical word in the Old Testament, and um, it's a word that's fallen uh, out of favor uh, as the years and the decades have rolled by, and it's one that I like to speak on at this time of the year whenever I've had the opportunity, and that word is Sabbath. Remember that word? We don't talk much about that anymore, do we? Uh, the word Sabbath. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, and it, it literally means to sneeze. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it means to stop. To rest, to look around, to see what's going on, to to take in and to look up. Now compare that to leisure. You see, leisure is an attempt at Sabbath minus the sacred. Mark Buchanan wrote a great book, a former pastor on Vancouver Island, now teacher in Alberta. He said, you never enter a Sabbath day without a Sabbath heart. So here's a question, couple of questions for us. Um, what do we do with this societal elevated levels of hurry and worry, business and busyness? And here's another question, is it actually possible to enter into and to stay in a place of God's rest when the storms of life or the ongoing busyness of life peaks? Let's try this. You see, you ask somebody this question, and the answers are common. When you ask somebody, how are you doing? Paul, how are you doing? Doing great? Yeah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Hey, Patrick, how are you doing? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Boy, we rehearsed that one well. <laughs> Working on that yesterday and on Friday. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, Eugene Peterson, I've talked about this before, but uh, Eugene Peterson in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, young pastors would come to him and, and he'd ask them, uh, how are you doing? And they would say what young pastors need to say to a man like Eugene Peterson. They say, busy. Yeah, we're busy. And he'd look at them and say, why are you sinning? Why are you sinning? Begs the question, are we treating time as holy, as sacred? So why is it that we're busy? Here's some things. It's not exhaustive. I think that we keep busy to feel that we are being useful. Or we keep busy to escape being thought of as lazy or idle. We keep busy to justify our existence. Here's one, men. We keep busy to be. Uh, we keep busy uh, to be productive. It's important to us. The last one has a star beside it. Perhaps that we keep busy to prevent ourselves from thinking about God, and the meaning of purpose in life. You see, it's hard to enjoy life and to be restful when we are conditioned. We've conditioned ourselves to think of the next thing that we need to do. 
ever found yourself in that place before? So much has changed in our Western society over the decades and the generations. It, it really begs the question, is Sabbath in our society, the way that we do life in the Western society, is Sabbath, is rest, is it even possible? Is it even possible? Um, or is Sabbath something from the Old Testament? I don't think so because it's written about by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 9 when he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rests uh, also rests from his own work just as God did. Who needs a Sabbath? Do you need one? Do you need one? Could it be and should it be part of our society still? How about for those who have lost their passion in life and need to get in touch with their feelings to discover why that's happened? How about for those who are feeling alone and in need of emotional nourishment? What about to gain a new perspective to an ongoing challenge that you are experiencing in your life? What if you're just dry? What if you are empty and you just need time to love and adore God and setting time aside in that to get filled up? What about if you need to better understand the deepest yearnings of your heart? Would Sabbath be valuable in that place? Or for those who want to be God's instruments, enabled and empowered by the Spirit to be world changers and Sabbath healers, talking about healing lately at church, haven't we? Jesus said this. It's an invitation. I underlined four words in this invitation. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come take, learn, find. Those are all invitational words, aren't they, from Jesus? You see, then he says uh, about the yoke. The yoke was a wooden frame that would usually go over two animals, usually oxen, and then by that frame going over them, they were subject to who was steering them. They would carry heavy loads. They would work long and hard. And Jesus talked about that, and he said to the people wanting to release them from this burden, he said that he has come to release you from the yoke of the Pharisees, from the religious rules and the law. Jesus takes on himself the yoke of the law, the yoke of religious rule and regulation, so it stops. So Sabbath isn't about rules and regulation. Rather, it's about rest, worship, and connection. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Scripture lays out something called Sabbath. Now, like I said, uh, you may view it, or it has been viewed in the past, and certainly has been used and abused. It's been all about rule and regulation. Now, I found this. This is from the province of Ontario about 80 or 90 years ago, how different things are now than they were then. Could you imagine? Go ahead, you can put up that slide. They were called, do you have it there? Do you see it on the screen? Sunday Laws. Do you see that? Is that up? 
Do we have a slide up there called Sunday Laws? So this was in force in the province of Ontario. Um, certainly there was no labor. Uh, work of laborers, mechanics and manufacturers, all, they, they, had to, they, they listed it off. Uh, all farm work can't do that, uh, can't work on the railroads, building, construction, that's out, all building, teaming, driving, business for, for driving for business purposes, bakers and barbers can't do that, work of musicians, paid performers of any kind can't do it. Businesses have to be closed, you can't buy or sell, deliver anything, can't sell booze, can't buy smokes, newspapers, they're out. Can't even go on the internet. Oh, that's not there. All games, races, other sports, they're out. Can't advertise, importing, selling, foreign things. Um, and um, there's actually uh, number seven there, if you can see it. You can't gamble. Uh, you can't, you, uh, tippling, and I'm not even sure what that is. And, um, but here it is. You can't even swear on the Sabbath. No profane language allowed on Sundays. Okay, you can cuss like a logger Monday to Saturday, but on Sunday, zip it, okay? There's also no hunting, shooting, fishing, bathing, and you could be fined from $100 to $500. That was the law in Canada about 80 or 90 years ago, good old days. Can you imagine trying to implement something like that uh, today? Uh, a fairly, uh, you know, legalistic approach. Needless to say, significant pushback on that as the decades have rolled by. How many people are old enough to know uh, and remember when there was the great debate over whether the mall should close on Sundays? Yeah. So I was from Abbotsford, so we were years later because we were... <laughs> Things were different there. So there's this legalistic approach that um, can take place. In fact, Jesus encountered a legalistic approach to the Sabbath as well. So there's this man. He's been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus says, why don't you just take up that mat and go home? And so the man is instantly healed, 38 years, takes his mats, walking home, and the religious rulers are celebrating. Wow, look at you, 38 years you've been, you know, you haven't been able to walk. You've been an invalid, and now you're walking. That's so great. Nope. They all knew him, and instead of celebrating the fact that this man had been healed, it's like, what are you doing carrying that mat on the Sabbath? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? But that's exactly what happened. And so I'm not talking about uh, today about a um, legalistic approach. Uh, again, I grew up in Abbotsford and, and, you know, the Mennonite community on one side of town and the Dutch community on the other side of town. And, and uh, my, my friend Ron, uh, you know, he's in his late teens, early 20s. He, he decides uh, one day that after church on Sunday, he's going to go for a drive in the family car. And uh, he's been gone for a number of hours, and he comes back, and his mom says to him, Ron, you've been gone for an awfully long time. And he's like, yeah. And then she says, you must be very hungry. Ron's like, 
Well, we kind of went out to the restaurant. Duh, it's Sunday! That's the legalistic approach. Uh, the majority of us, though, we have become indifferent about it. Uh, we've kind of swung over as a culture to the other side where the idea of taking a day of rest has little or no value. It's something that um, we, we work, uh, m- most of us, we've gone, we don't do a six-day week anymore, do we? We do a five-day week uh, where we are, you know, in those days uh, where we are, um, we're banging and, and hammering and, and all of those sort of things. And then one other day is used for Costco, laundry, soccer, you know, all those sort of things. And potentially we might take a day. But how do you view Sabbath? Do you view it as a rule or an invitation? Do you see it as law or do you see it as a gift from God for us? To refuse his invitation, I would say, is to reject his gift. I was working um, uh, a number of years back uh, in, the, in, in the school, in school district 34, and I was with a teacher and a student came in. I was a youth worker on, on the campus of, of a high school. And oh, in this case, it was a middle school. And a, a student came in and offered to the teacher and said, I have some candy. Would you like some? And this teacher said, sure, thank you. And then he, the student said to me, would you like some candy? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I don't really care for candy. And then the student walked out. And the teacher said to me, you know, every time a student comes and offers you a gift, even if you're not going to take it or use it or need it, accept that gift because they're, they're giving you something from themselves. They want you to receive it. And that lesson went deep inside of me. And I feel that the Lord, there's this invitation for us. Would you like this gift? Would you like this gift of rest? Would you like this gift to be able to worship me and to take some downtime? The question is, do we want to receive the gift that he is offering us? Or do we want to reject that gift and get on with our busyness? The invitation is there. Uh, the 23rd Psalm, I've been meditating on that, or at least the first few verses. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, is our shepherd, shall not be in want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. I'll stop there. He restores our soul. Who is it that restores our soul? You see, the green pastures and the still waters are the tool, are the tools that God uses, but it's him and him alone who actually restores our soul. So whether or not it's the walk in the woods or that cozy blanket and crackling fire or the stroll down your favorite beach or on July 1st for Christine and I uh, at 8 a.m. in the morning, we were out um, early on paddleboarding in Thetis Lake. And if you've ever been to Thetis, you, you go over to where the dog park is, and you park there, and you go straight out, and then there's a bridge, and you go underneath the bridge that takes you into Upper Thetis. And it's like when you go under the bridge and around the corner, the lily pads are in bloom, the lake goes quiet and is like glass, 
And there we were just enjoying this wonderful moment. Oh, and the, bull, the bullfrogs or, or tadpoles, they were everywhere. And you would approach them and they would dip down into the water. And it was this magical, wonderful moment. But here's the idea, and that is, but without him being there with us, it's a wonderful leisurely moment, but it's not a moment where there's a restoration of the soul. But take that same place and invite him into that place and find him in that moment, and then it moves from leisure to restoration of the soul. Where is your place that you may go where you invite him in and you find restoration for your soul. This is a time of season. I, you know, I'm married to a teacher. And so for 28 years, I mean, we're on kind of the school calendar. You know, that's the way it kind of rolls for us. Some of you aren't, but we're kind of in that mode. And so this is a time, and, and, and the work that I have, it's kind of, for me, it's like running intervals on the treadmill. Sometimes it's flat out, and then sometimes it rolls into a, a, a much calmer season. But where is the time that you can take within your family, within your dynamic, within your life, where there can be the restoration of your soul? I say that as a culture, we kind of are coming into a place where there can be restoration for you. Now, that can take place on a weekly basis. That can take place on a daily basis. And at this time of the year, it's kind of in a seasonal way, isn't it? But I would so strongly encourage you, each one of you, where is it that you can find restoration for your soul with Jesus? Again, leisure is an attempt at Sabbath minus the sacred. People don't have cable vision anymore. In fact, they don't even call it cable vision anymore. It's called cable. But we still, we're old timers. We have cable because I like to watch the Blue Jays and sports and, uh, and we watch the news on occasional, uh, occasionally, but... If we're not watching sports at my house and we're not watching the news, our TV's on HGTV. <laughs> and there is a show on HGTV called Hometown. And maybe you've seen it, maybe you don't. It's, it's, a, it's a story of a couple from Laurel, Mississippi, population 17,000. And in Laurel, Mississippi, you know the one thing that they have there is heritage homes. They have a lot of heritage homes. And what this couple does is it's, they've taken it on for their hometown to go into old heritage homes and restore them. And that's what they do. And so many heritage homes in Laurel, they're 100 years old, they're 200 years old, they've fallen into disrepair, there's still families that live in them, but as the decades have rolled by, as the generations have rolled by, people have done DIY additions, do-it-yourself additions on homes, and you know, if you're skilled in that area, bless you, the majority of people aren't, and DIYs generally don't fare well as the years go by. And, you know, the original hardwood gets carpeted over and the porches are rotting and the plumbing is not good and the wiring, of course, is probably added later. And, and what they do, here's, here's the point, is that they, they take these homes and they kind of take them down to the studs, but they don't modernize the home. Instead, what they do is they, they go in and they restore it to its original glory. And so when you walk into one of these heritage homes, it's like you're being taken back in time. 
the original hardwood returns, the archways, they, they find uh, uh, when, they're, when they're deconstructing the home, some stuff is salvageable and some is not. And so what they'll do is, because it's been generations of families in these homes, they'll take wood uh, from the home and they'll build like a family table. And it's like, this is your great-grandfather when he built this home, and we've now taken the wood of that, and we're building a family table. And this will be your table now that your great-grandfather, from the wood from your great-grandfather. And archways and picture frames and, and things like that. And uh, now every illustration has its limits, but let me just say this. As the decades have rolled by in your life, how many times have you tried to do a DIY in your life? You've tried to do a do-it-yourself in your circumstances and in your life. How has that worked for you? Areas in your life where you really shone, but the trials of life and the hardships of life wore you down, and instead of looking to restore, you said, you know what? I think I'll just carpet over that. They go into these homes and they get onto the walls and it's like, oh, there's the wallpaper from the 80s. There's the wallpaper from the 60s. Here's the wallpaper from the 20s. Here's the wallpaper from the 1880s. And it's layer upon layer upon layer. And instead of having our souls restored, Instead, it's just I'll slap on another wall, year of wallpaper. Instead of returning things to their original glory the way that they've been meant to do, I'll just take it and I'll just put down a layer of carpet. Have a few roofers in the house. How many times, Bruce, have you been involved in a roofing job where somebody, instead of peeling off the old roof, it's like, I think we'll just do it the easy way and we'll just, we'll just put new asphalt shingles over that old roof and it's like piles up. Of course, that doesn't last. Or the foundation of our lives um, where perhaps some termites or some water damage over the years has produced some rot. You see, how about accepting his invitation to lie down in green pastures, to be led to quiet waters, where he actually comes and he restores your soul and gets you back to the way that God has originally designed us to operate, rather than wallpapering it over covering it up and not looking for him to bring about restoration in your life. And I just want to say, I just feel like it's a time, it's a time and a season where God wants to do works of restoration. And the question again is, are you willing and able to receive it or are you more comfortable with that carpet and that wallpaper and that rot that is maybe beneath the floorboards you see, here's the idea, carrying on with the 23rd Psalm. It's when we give him the opportunity to restore our souls on a weekly basis, on a seasonal basis, on a daily basis, then even though when we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, 
What is our outcome in that? We won't fear evil. Why? Because we've gained a history with him that we know that he is with us and that his rod and his staff, they protect us and he comforts us. And even in the midst of the battles that are surrounding us and the turmoil that may be going on, it's like, hey, let's have dinner. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of those things that are tormenting us or not tormenting us because um, he's with us. So this Sabbath, this rest, uh, this time being holy, it's, it's sure, it's, it's a day, I guess, uh, but... Uh, a day for feasting, a day for resting, a day for worshiping, a day for playing. But it's more than that. Um, it's, it's an attitude. Let me read this to you um, about this rest. Uh, it is a perspective, an orientation. I mean, a Sabbath heart, not just a Sabbath day. A Sabbath heart is restful even in the midst of unrest and upheaval. That's such, it's so critical, isn't it? That our, our inner core of who we are is not unsettled by the circumstances that may be swirling around us. How is it possible to have what is described as a peace that transcends all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? That's, I want that. That's a good place. I think the genesis of that is being able to come into those restful places, to be able to come into those things where the swirl, the busyness, the business, where we can put that off and aside for a moment. It's always going to be there, but we're able to put it off for a moment and connect with him in that place. Oh, let me read you this story. Uh, how much time do we have? Five more minutes here. In fact, I'm not going to read you that story because our time is short. Uh, just a final thought here, and that is, um, and I've talked about this in past, um, the word time, uh, there are two, two ideas in, in, in the Greek for time. One, is, one Greek word for time is chronos. Chronos. Look at your watch. That's chronos. What, what time is it? Um, it's... Um, it's the, the time of clock and calendar. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, Kronos says time is money. That's Kronos. Um, Kronos says uh, every minute is on the clock and needs to be accounted for. Uh, see, the big lie of Kronos is this, and that is uh, you can't rest until all of your work is done. Kronos says, you're on the clock, and there is no rest till all of your work is done. And by the way, start doing the work that you are doing better than you are right now. That's Kronos. There's another Greek word for time, and that is kairos. And kairos sees time as a gift, an opportunity. As one writer says, it's pregnant with purpose. Kronos doesn't ask, what time is it? Kairos doesn't ask, what time is it? Kairos asks, what is time for? What is time for? 
Kronos watches the clock. Kairos responds to the heart. Kairos is God's gift to man to experience the sacred while in the commonplace, the holy moments in the midst of swinging nails, writing reports, and meeting deadlines. And so the question to you today is, we're all living in Kronos, but can we invite Kairos into our time? Is it possible this morning? Is it possible this week? Is it possible in this season for us to say, you know what, Lord? I think I want to look at the idea that time is holy, and I want to set apart some time to invite you into those places so that I may find during this season rest for my soul. Pray with me. So our God, our holy God, (laughs) that you created the heavens and the earth in, in seven days, whether it was literal seven or whether it was over many years, we're not sure. But Father, in the midst of the way that you see time, I pray today that this community, that those watching online, that those are hearing this later, that we would be able to enter into a time of rest. And now, uh, just a question for each one of you. Um, how, would, uh, how would you like to uh, see God differently and meet him differently as it relates to time and seeing that time is holy. So, Father, that you are good. We bless you, we love you, and we thank you for the gift of Sabbath in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.